listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Coming up, our CEO series continues with Jason Pellegrino from Domain. Australia's unemployment rate rises to 3.7%, and Telstra posts a $2.1 billion fully profit. So, why did its shares fall? That's next. your daily business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 17th of August, 2023. Later, we'll speak with Joe Youssef from Arius Asset Management on the day's market action, including Telstra's $2.1 billion profit. But first, we'll start with online property group Domain, which revealed a 28% decline in four-year profit to $38.6 million on falling listings. So where to now for the company? and for the property sector. I spoke with its CEO, Jason Pellegrino. Jason, how would you describe the operating environment? Because while profit was down, revenue generally flat despite a fall in new listings during the year. I think that points to the resiliency of our business. You know, it has been the most extraordinarily poor listings environment that we've seen in recent memory. Uh, though our business has been able to sort of trade through that. We've seen growth in pricing and product uptake. We've seen growth in our marketplace business and the diversity of our business. So I think it just points to the resiliency of our business within a, a quite challenging market environment. Sydney and Melbourne listings fell 21% and 16% respectively over the financial year. But how is it looking so far in those cities in this financial year and I guess more broadly around the country? What we're seeing across the country is pretty consistent patterns to what we've seen in property cycles prior in prior years. Sydney and Melbourne tend to lead into cycles, but they definitely led in terms of the price declines and also the listing volume declines that followed shortly afterwards last year, and they're leading the, the nation out. And so we're seeing confidence start to return and vendors are more confident to bring their property to market. So in the last six weeks, We've seen week-on-week improvements in listing volumes in Sydney and Melbourne particularly. They've moved into positive situations. We've seen growth in listings and a return to average levels or towards average levels. Queensland and Western Australia are still lagging that, and on a national level, listing volumes are still down, though we're seeing week-on-week improvement. I know when we talk about property, it's not just one market. There are many different markets, not just around the country, but within a city, right? But are you noticing any new buyer or seller trends on the website, whether that be, I don't know, properties being listed for longer or shorter, a demand for certain types of properties? So we have strong demand. We've seen inquiry levels rise. We've seen uh, really strong activity in attendance at open home inspections, for example. But there has been a lack of supply. So time on market for good properties has been quite low. As the listing volumes start to increase and rebalancing supply and demand, you'll probably see a return to sort of more average uh, time on market. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned supply. So National Cabinet discussed a plan to build 1.2 million homes over the next five years from the middle of next year to help ease affordability issues and increase supply. Obviously, it's long term. Do you see that number as doable in this environment of skill shortages and longer build times? I actually applaud the fact that we are talking about this and we're putting together ambitious plans. This, to me, is one of the most significant generational challenges that we will face as a country and as a society. 
is housing affordability. How do we get our most disadvantaged and um, uh, people into housing, whether that's rental or ownership stock? How do we make sure that people across Australia are not bearing the burden of undue cost of living through whether it's rentals or housing stock? And that means that we need to have extraordinarily ambitious plans to deal with the demand side and helping people into the market with the supply side and making sure that supply comes onto market, the right type of supply at the right time in the right locations. And that we're also challenging the friction costs and the costs of transacting that sit. So things like stamp duties, uh, compliance costs, for example, because they slow down a market. And so what I do is I applaud the ambition and the scale. This is a really challenging problem. It's a problem that we've known has been building and we've been kicking down the road collectively across all levels of government and as an industry for many years. And the problem is that problem just keeps growing. If we don't implement and execute on ambitious plans to deal with that, the problem just gets worse. And we know as a society, shelter and food, like they're at the core of what we are as people and what we need as people. So when we start to get that threatened, the the amplification or the consistent societal issues that that will deliver are going to be enormous. We have to do it. So I applaud the ambition. The ambition needs to move beyond discussion to plans that are actually activated. So how confident are you, though, that this number will be reached at 1.2 million? Because, you know, we're, we, as we see the commentary, you're, you're in the industry. We know that there just aren't enough workers still out there, especially in the construction side of things. Even these homes that are being built, they're taking longer than expected because, A, there's not enough workers. Construction costs, while they're coming down, they're still pretty high. I mean, there, there are some um, um, pretty big barriers there, aren't there? I just don't think we have a choice as to whether we deliver this or not because the consequences of not delivering something of this scale and this consequence are just too poor to bear. And so I, I do feel that we do need to step in and actually action and take activity of this ambition. We need to think about the investments we need to make to ensure the success of these programs. We need to take, whether it's the political risk on a political level, the personal professional risk within industry to make the bets, to take the investments to actually deliver on these plans. Because if we don't, I don't even want to think about what the consequences could be. Two final questions just relating to your business. Um, technology, obviously it's big domain. Um, across corporate Australia, the buzzword at the moment is artificial intelligence. How are you using it to enhance a customer experience and, and where do you see the, the future opportunities? Yeah, artificial intelligence is at the core of our business. We have a very large data business. We have platforms that go out into consumer, into agent, into banks, governments, and we, we use a lot of that data and we use the artificial intelligence engines to actually create that insights from that data that are very usable. So we have products that we've delivered and commercialized that help agents uh, scour and sort of look for potential new listings. We have products that we've list, that we've launched that help those listings that come onto our site fight, find the right potential buyer through better targeting and personalization. We have products that we're actually using within our ecosystem within our platforms to reduce cybersecurity risk, to improve the quality and of the data that we actually ingest and, and display. So for example, we have adjusted or changed over 1.5 million listings on our platform to improve for things like miscategorization or improving the description of those listings. We've predicted over 450,000 properties uh, that are going to come for sale that actually did come for sale. So accurate predictions over the last four years through the application of artificial intelligence. And just finally, and something I'm asking all CEOs this reporting season, um, what's your company's position on the Indigenous voice to parliament? Why? And are you financially backing the campaign one way or the other? 
we're not financially backing the, the, the program, but we do have a very strong um, RAP program that we're actually committed to ex- executing against and scaling. And my personal position is incredibly supportive of what I think is a no-brainer solution of taking action against uh, against a long-standing issue and stepping towards a pathway towards reconciliation. Jason Pellegrino there, the CEO of Domain. From the corporate world, let's now go to Australia's economy, where the unemployment rate actually rose from 3.5% in June to 3.7% in July. So what does it mean for the economy and for interest rates? For that, I spoke with Diana Messina. She is an economist at AMP. Well, the unemployment rate is telling us a few things. There is, There has obviously been a slowing in demand for jobs across the country. And the ABS also said that seasonal adjustment issues were at play here in terms of leading to lower employment growth and the rise in the unemployment rate in July. So the rise in the unemployment rate reflects both some seasonal factors, more people taking leave in July, but also the fact that we've just had a natural slowing in jobs growth, given the very high pace of employment that we've had over the past 12 to 18 months. While the numbers may not be huge, I understand that it's the biggest uh, fall in the number of people in work since October 2021. Do we know where the job losses are coming from? Uh, Well, unfortunately, we only get the data for industry every quarter. So there is data up to May in terms of job gains and job losses. And the sectors that had the largest job falls over that time were in utilities, rental and hiring, admin and support and other services. So it's been it, it, it's, it's been quite mixed. I wouldn't say that there's just one industry where it's occurring in, but it's also probably more just that we have very high levels of the working age population increasing every month. So every single month, we're getting about 50,000 new entrants into the labour market. But employment growth over the past few months has been running at 30,000. And what that means is that you get an, an increase in the unemployment rate because you have more people entering the workforce than you have demand for jobs. Okay. Uh, what does today's data say about the tightness of the labour market? Is it starting to loosen? The labour market is starting to loosen a little bit because the unemployment rate has gone up from its low in October last year. However, the labour market is still very tight because the unemployment rate remains around its lowest level since 1974. It's only really gone up from 34 to 3.7%. And the broader measures of tightness in the labour market, labour underutilisation, which is the unemployment rate and the underemployment rate, are still at pretty low levels. Before the pandemic, they were running at about 14% or so but labour underutilisation is at about 10%. So we have used up a lot of spare capacity in the labour market. Uh, What about higher wages? Are they having an impact? Because today we saw that average weekly ordinary time earnings also rose. Well, in this cycle, we've seen wages growth rising, but employment growth also being extremely strong. So I wouldn't necessarily say that high wages growth are wreaking havoc to employment growth. Uh, It's the rise in employment growth has been a function of a very tight labour market, but also the very elevated inflation environment that we're in right now. Overall, I guess the, the labour force report would be something that the RBA would be pleased, though, because didn't the RBA imply that the neutral rate for jobs on the economy, uh, when it has an implication on interest rates, is at about 4.5%? It's difficult to know where that natural rate of unemployment is. 
but the estimates from the RBA are that it is over 4%. So when you have the unemployment rate running below 4%, the RBA would still see that as a very tight labour market. And from their point of view, that tightness in the labour market, they don't really want it, want it to persist for a long time because that would threaten the inflation outlook if it means that wages growth will be rising at a fast rate. So they would be pleased with today's result. Is it fair to say that we are starting to perhaps see a turning point in the labour market? And based on these numbers, what does it mean for interest rates now? We're probably around that turning point. Uh, I mean, our, we, we look at leading indicators of employment growth and the best leading indicators are hiring intentions from bank surveys, job vacancies and job advertisements. And they've been falling now for a number of months and they've certainly been signalling that employment growth is going to slow from here. So over the next few months, I think employment growth will continue to slow down, but it's not going to be running at negative levels. So that should put some upward pressure on the unemployment rate, but we think that the unemployment rate will only really reach a peak sometime next year. What does that mean for the Reserve Bank and interest rates? I think today's data is very much in line with a hold for the RBA at its next meeting in September. Given that the Reserve Bank's been comfortable keeping rates on hold for the past two months, I think you really need to see a change in the economic backdrop to, to persuade them to raise rates again. And that would either be continuing very tight labour market, which threatens wages growth higher, or a renewed surge in inflation. And we're, we're not seeing that. The wage data this week was actually below the RBA's own forecasts. Clearly, we're not in a wage price spiral. I think that the RBA would be pretty comfortable being on hold at, at, at the September meeting. Finally, the, the data today did have an impact on the Australian dollar. It's below 64 US now, but there are other factors influencing that too, isn't there? The Aussie dollar has been under pressure now for a number of weeks because risk sentiment has generally turned a bit negative. And we've seen that with lower share markets, rising bond yields around the world. And of course, the concern about the Chinese economy and the data this week showed that the Chinese economy is in a pretty weak state, a lot weaker than what a lot of analysts were expecting it to be. That weighs on the Aussie dollar because we are a bit of a proxy for the Chinese economy because of our very close trade ties. I think in the short term, the Aussie dollar might have a little, little bit more downside, but over the next few months, it will probably range between 65 to 70 US cents. Diana Mussina there from AMP. Now, Market Day on the SBS On The Money podcast. The Australian share market finished weaker today. The S&P ASX 200 down 0.7%, 7,146, as profit reporting season rolled on. For more on that, including Telstra's $2.1 billion result, I spoke with Joe Youssef. He is the Chief Investment Officer at Arius Investment Advisors. Joe, the market's down today. Why? Carter, a number of reasons. First and foremost, uh, US uh, inflation continues to be in vogue. You know, uh, the retail sales there again were surprisingly strong. Uh, every time we see uh, a, a possibility of the states possibly considering cutting rates, uh, the data continues to suggest otherwise. And you've got their US 10-year yields now at, I think, 15 or 16-year highs. The Chinese woes are well-documented and continually um, having, you know, some sort of effect on the market. And quite frankly, Ricardo, the markets have actually been quite resilient, you know, offshore and here for, you know, for well over a year now. I think in the absence of any real major impetus to continue northwards because they're close to their 12-month highs, they're probably just running out a bit of steam, to be honest. So if the market's being resilient, what about companies when it comes to reporting season? What are you seeing so far? 
Yeah, good question. You know, I, I've uh, I amongst many have been looking forward to you know this reporting season with great anticipation. It's been very similar to what transpired in the states. A lot of companies have actually reported some solid results, and uh, you know some have disappointed, but by and large, it's been pretty pretty solid. Uh, definitely, I think uh, reiterates my view and the view of many that the worst case scenarios are probably not going to eventuate with regards to earnings. Uh, um, also, you know, some of the sectors where uh, earnings forecasts and projections of future earnings were, were a little bit uh, uh, of concern. You know, the markets had a lot of uh, evidence with regards to future guidance that, you know, things aren't, won't, won't be as bad as uh, uh, some have possibly thought, you, you know, to look at some of our stocks, for instance, or our sectors, CBA, in addition to providing, you know, uh, an extremely strong result, their bad and doubtful debts uh, um, announcement there gave the market a lot of confidence that some of the worst-case scenarios being advocated about possible bank exposures to rising interest rates may not materialise. I mean, we're not out of the woods yet, but it does give, you know, a, a cautious optimism there because the banking sector rallied as a collective after CBA posted their result. Then you've got James Hardy, who just proved uh, you know, there are stocks out there that actually benefit from high inflation because they've got pricing power. The demand's there irrespective of what the prices are. You know, they've got pricing power there. Theirs was an outstanding result. The retail sector, the much beleaguered retail sector, you had Nick Scarley, brilliant result. JB Hi-Fi, uh, you know, a, a solid result, but, you know, comfortable guidance moving forward. And then you had the embattled healthcare sector. I thought ResMed's uh, result was was particularly their guidance, possibly moved out a little bit further than market had originally expected, but solid again. Cochlear was very good too. Uh, profit reporting season obviously rolled on today. Can we focus in on Telstra, especially which reported today, because it's one of Australia's most widely held stocks, a 13% rise in full year profit to $2.1 billion, thanks to a strong mobile business, a total dividend mm -hmm. increase of 3%, but its share price mm -hmm. fell today. Why? And what do you make of the result? Yeah, I mean, the, the full year result of, of $23.2 billion was about five, just over 5%. Uh, you know, the, the guidance moving forward for the full year result, Richard, was uh, Ricardo 22.8 to 24.8. So I suppose uh, there's not much incremental growth there being articulated in terms of the full year outcome. Uh, and then uh, you also had uh, the CapEx expenditure moving forward. Uh, uh, it, it was touted to be 3.6 bill. They've increased it to 100 mil to about 3.7 bill. Uh, the company was expected to announce uh, selling its digital infrastructure business, Infraco. That's no longer going to be the case. Uh, Telstra cited the fact that uh, artificial intelligence and a real big um, usage of, of, you know, a cloud storage has, has uh, got Telstra to revisit the possible selling down of that business. So I think given the fact that um, the, many in the market were expecting the sale of, of that business, uh, a reasonable flattish to uh, slight growth in terms of net earnings for next year. And even with the dividend up 3%, there was no real guidance being um, calculated there. But in the absence of any strong forward guidance or the, or the result uh, massively beating expectations, probably, you know, um, just a bit of a sell-off in line with the overall market. But, you know, any, any protracted sell-off in Telstra would not be a, a, a cause for concern, probably be a good buying opportunity. Um, the Australian dollar, it's taken a pretty wild beating recently, now below 64 US cents. We know that, uh, and we spoke earlier with an economist about the uh, unemployment rate rising, which had an influence on the on the moves in the Australian dollar today. But, you know, below 64, why? What, what's the trends that are hitting it? 
for me, and I've discussed this at length, it's it's the number one reason that we talk about commodity prices and, you know, um, um, but the, the number one reason, Richard, Ricardo, is the um, interest rate parity argument. Historically, uh, Australian interest rates traded at a premium to the United States. That has not been the case for quite some time. Post the Reserve Bank's most recent um, decision, two in a row now not to raise rates, more and more people in the market are now uh, of the view that Australian rates are going to be on hold or possibly even be reduced. I'm not one of them. I still think there's scope to get rates up another 50 basis points, but the majority of the market of the view that our rate cycle is is close to an end, if not ready, in the States, they kept getting they kept getting a, a data that suggests that they've got to continue raising rates. As that uh, interest rate gap widens, people are going to go invest in the States because their, their rates are higher than ours. Uh, and the only way you can invest in the States is to buy Australian uh, US dollars rather. That, for me, is the number one reason why. I also passionately believe that at some point in time, uh, the, the Aussie dollar is going to prove to be a good value. The intrinsic value of the currency has always been 70 to 75 cents. So I think, uh, you know, um, it, it shouldn't go too much further south from here. And very quickly, in this environment at the moment, where do you see the opportunities for investors? So in addition to the stocks and sectors I alluded to previously, two stocks for me stand out at the moment, uh, Fortescue and Cochlear. And the reason being with protracted weakness in the dollar, they're, they're two companies that benefit from that because their cost base is Australian dollars, but their revenues are generated in the United States. So they, they get the benefit there of the currency selling off on both the costs and the revenue side. So they're two stocks that will definitely benefit from a protracted weakness in the Aussie dollar. Two to watch, Ricardo. Joe Yusuf there from Arius Asset Management. This SBS on the Money stream is provided for informational purposes only. The content in this stream should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and it does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.